This is High Stakes from Gerard Phillips, Kate, and Hancock. Welcome to High Stakes. I'm David Schifrin. The election is looming. There is so much uncertainty. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday, September 30th, and possibly Thursday, October 1st, then you're still probably like us, sitting on the couch, motionless, staring at your now switched off TV with some kind of empty glass in your hand, trying to figure out what the crap happened last night. If anyone was hoping for clear answers to the uncertainty, that wasn't it. And yet healthcare leaders need to prepare their organizations for, well, whatever it is that's going to happen. We here at Gerard pride ourselves in looking around corners, but we certainly aren't 100% sure about what's coming. Still, we do have a lot of thoughts on the types of conversations that will be taking place around the election and healthcare, and that includes some of the hotspots that will erupt. And by erupt, I mean be part of the discussion among people actually looking at the issues, not necessarily erupt as in, well, whatever, again, last night was. But really, behind the tension and the heat around the election and that everything that was accentuated during the debate and, frankly, the incoherence there, it's worth pointing out some areas where providers could temper their expectations. For example... The ACA isn't going to be repealed or Medicare for All enacted anytime soon, regardless of who wins. So we got a group of our political junkies together to riff on what's going on. Here we've taken some highlights from that roundtable discussion, and the conversation included, in order of appearance, our CEO David Gerard, Vice President in our regional practice Justin Gibbs, Senior Vice President in our national practice Tim Stewart, and Partner and Chief Operating Officer Kevin Phillips. Hope you enjoy this more than you enjoyed the debate. So let me start with this question. You know, in a normal year, there would be a lot of discussion about healthcare policy uh, and the delivery of care and how care is paid for and how care is measured. And I'm curious in this year, although healthcare is much on our minds, does anybody else really care? Is anyone else paying attention to healthcare policy or delivery of care sort of mechanics? Um, and if so, what are they what are they thinking about? Yeah, I think that the short answer is no. Nobody's diving into the policy weeds of how care um, is going to be paid for, what it's going to look like in the future. And I would be shocked if it was something that was a big um, area of contention during the upcoming debates. I think the president is not a policy heavy kind of guy. But honestly, that's also given Joe Biden the luxury of not having to be a policy heavy guy. Um, and I think that. Biden is and his advisors are probably learning a little bit from some of the missteps that Clinton had four years ago when she wanted to, you know, debate the intricacies of policy to show how she was more prepared to be president than Trump. To Justin's point, the outline for the first presidential debate held on Tuesday, September 29th, included COVID-19 and the economy, but no mention of health care. Now, it did come up almost immediately, as you probably know, in the first section about the Supreme Court nomination with ACA among the topics. So it seemed that Biden at least wanted to raise the visibility of health care, uh, particularly health insurance coverage, along with a few other issues, even though, as Kevin Phillips noted, recent polling showed it's not particularly a priority for the public. Okay, so Kaiser Family Foundation did a poll last week, I think, that rated the most important issues for voters in this cycle, and healthcare came in fifth, which only 10% said it was important. Wow. Uh, and that separated out the COVID 19 stuff, which actually came in second behind economy, which was stated by a third of the voters. So in February of this year, in contrast, 
healthcare was the number one issue in voters' minds. Um, let's say in 2016, 30% of Republicans said that uh, the repeal of Obamacare was very important. Today, it's 5%. Um, and at the GOP convention in August, healthcare was only mentioned once. Um, the ACA was only mentioned once. So um, it's, it's like not on anybody's mind. Why has one of the hottest issues of the past decade suddenly disappeared? So let's uh, I, let's place the scenario out. So as Kevin shared, the survey results show that healthcare is an issue has dropped from number one to number five. And if you had told me it's number one and we're about to go through a global health pandemic that's going to stress the entire healthcare industry, and by the way, then healthcare is going to drop to be like the number five, number six issue that people are talking about. Like what's happening here? What's what's going on that healthcare would be both supremely important and sort of uninteresting as a, as a healthcare policy thing? Well, what jumped into the higher places are civil unrest, racial justice, and uh, economy. And those are just dominating everything. And yeah, then, I think you know, it, and then COVID, you know, because people were kind of, but even that started to just like shrink down because people yeah. are kind of going, oh, you know, as long as I stay within my general bubble, I'm going to be fine. I well, was just going to say that I feel like it, it just, it doesn't, I'm not sure it says anything about healthcare. I think healthcare's probably stayed the same and mm-hmm. it just kind of underscores the seriousness of everything else happening and, and its impact on our society. So then where exactly does healthcare fit into the election? Kevin Phillips again. So does Medicare for all come back up? Does the does it raise back up? So there's one issue that could come up in the next few weeks for the presidential. And then, of course, with the passing of Justice Ginsburg um, and the upcoming hearing for Texas versus California um, for on the ACA, um, is that the other angle that comes back up into it as a as a political issue of possible, you know, sort of repeal there of the individual mandate. So I think those are probably the only two policy things from my point of view that enter the race. Well, the other point on that is, so if Biden wins, it's also not going to be his first priority, even in a world where we didn't have COVID. It'd be foolish, I think, for a Democratic president, even if the Democratic Congress, to pursue major and a major overhaul of healthcare as their first priority because it would end up being their only priority. Yeah, I do think that if we get into a scenario where Biden's elected and the Democrats keep the House and take the Senate, which is plausible, that Biden will be pushed to um, do something in the healthcare space and push towards Medicare for all. Um, I agree that that's not a first priority because we got to get the economy back on track, and that's where. I would spend my political capital also, uh, but I do think that the left wing of the party are going to be pushing hard for this because, you know, it, it took a unified democratic government 10 years ago to get the Affordable Care Act. It's going to take that kind of a government again to get a Medicare for all. And, you know, that's seen as a once in an every 10 year type opportunity. And if they don't take advantage of it, if they get control of everything in Washington now, then it's going to be 2030 or 2040 before it happens again. Um, and, and, you know, the folks who are really pushing that don't want to wait. All right. I'm going to summarize a little bit of the conversation at this point. We ended up talking about the fact that even with Kamala Harris on the ticket and the pressure that that could create to push towards Medicare for all or some type of single payer system, 
Things don't happen overnight. Harris herself had a phase-in period built into her plan when she was running for president. It takes time to figure out how to pay for these things, how to operationalize them. So if Biden wins, the general consensus among our group was that he will use some of his political capital, but it'll be to take small steps, not blast something through. Before we moved on, though, Kevin Phillips, followed by Tim Stewart, added one more potential twist to the plot. Put this one in the unintended consequences category if you're a Republican looking to repeal the ACA. What if, okay, so in the, the Ginsburg thing definitely throws a, a new twist into it because uh, what if uh, in Texas v. California, Texas prevails uh, next summer and they rule that they're going to strike down that portion of the ACA and other parts of it start to crumble? Uh, does that actually help propel Medicare for all after a loss like that? So it's like, in a way, the conservatives or the Republicans got what they fought to get and end up losing because it makes everybody, it gives an opening for Medicare for all. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, it feels to me like the Affordable Care Act is exactly where Republicans want it, which is no longer a red meat issue for their base, but still doing the bare minimum of what it was intended to do, which is cover more people. So if you actually do eliminate it, then what comes next is not the Affordable Care Act from 2009. It's it's an evolution. So all the prognosticating and educated guessing is a lot of fun, but it's time to get practical. We made our projections, but what are you, healthcare leaders, supposed to do with all of it, regardless of your personal political views? David Gerard. So if, if you're um, if you're a hospital or a health system or you're running a healthcare organization and you you understand that most people aren't thinking about healthcare in the way you're, you're thinking about it, but you are and you're strapped for funds and you're wondering about what the future is going to be and you're wondering where to invest your capital because you're trying to follow the stream of money. What do you do? What do you say today? Do you enter the fray? Do you ring the bell and say, hey, hey, guys, wake up. Healthcare is important. Help us out here. Or not so much. You know, I think folks have to enter into the fray, but I think that they need to do it in a way that rises above politics. Um, to where they talk about their mission and they talk about delivering on that mission for their employees, for their patients, for the communities that they serve, but they don't get into, you know, this is what the the president's healthcare plan is. This is what um, the Biden healthcare plan would do. Because let's keep in mind, I know that we're talking a whole lot about uncertainty here. Obama was elected in November 2008, sworn in in January 2009. The Affordable Care Act didn't become law until March of 2010. So regardless of who is elected in November, and if we know in November, but regardless who, who the next president is, it's going to be a while before there are any kind of big sweeping changes. Um, so as we think about uncertainty, yes, but know that the uncertainty is even further off than an election in November and a new president potentially in January. So. You know, I think that some of that um, perspective setting is important for healthcare leaders to kind of recognize both at a leadership team level, but also as their employees are coming to them or people in the community are coming to them saying, you know, how is this going to impact our day to day? Um, I mean, tr the truthful answer is we don't know because we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that we're going to have some lead time before anything big were to happen and we're prepared for that. Yeah, well, and I think also along those lines, so if you take it out of like national politics, 
similar lead time, like the bill is going to come due on a lot of this year, next year, and the years after, you know, so what, what does this look like when patients are receiving literal bills uh, for COVID as we're starting to see now a test they thought were covered care they thought was covered. Um, and then also all of the care that people have put off this year that is going to come due at some point for each of them and for the system at large. What does that look like? And so I do think this does seem like where somebody's going to get blamed for the costs that individuals and groups are going to incur over the next year. Outside of the election itself, there are other sort of small p political issues at play, other conversations and advocacy and frankly, financial management issues that need to be addressed regardless of what happens on November 3rd or whenever we find out who actually is going to be in office next year. Uh, as you look at anybody who's been profiting from the pandemic, it's certainly the big insurance companies all posted record gains over the course of the last few financial quarters. And at a time when the economy is struggling, when people are struggling um, and out of work, it doesn't pass the smell test for insurance companies to be making the money that they are and sticking patients with huge bills. I think that that will be, that's a vitally important narrative for hospitals to continue. I also think that something that is important as if we wanna think about government relations here at all, is continued outreach to your state legislative delegation, but also your federal delegation to continue to have the conversation, Tim, that you were talking about, which is, you know, all of these bills are going to end up coming due. And a lot of folks who received advanced payments from Medicare, um, that's all has to be repaid at, you know, four or five, 6% interest, whatever it is. That is a narrative that needs to continue because I think that that is a bit, if we're looking for a bipartisan issue here, um, Democrats and Republicans equally have been working to make sure that hospitals in the districts and the states that they serve have the resources that they need to continue to confront all that COVID-19 is. All right, so but let's do focus on this because uh, I think the health systems will be looking for money and they're going to look at the local level, they're going to the state level, they're looking at the federal level, how we're going to pay for all these bills that, as we've said, are going to come due. And I, I love the emphasis on making sure that we're telling whatever story we have to tell right now uh, to all those audiences. And if we don't have good government relations, get some good government relations um, sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the other piece of it that we've talked a lot about recently with our clients is that we, you know, people are understandably exhausted. And and certainly within the, the leadership and the front lines of any healthcare provider organization, people are worn out. And so it is hard to think about sort of girding for a fight or mounting a big proactive effort, but the moment sort of dictates that. And and they need to be, you know, the, the people that, um, the people and organizations that will survive and thrive post COVID are going to be the ones that are thinking about how they're doing that now. Yeah, and I think that, you know, this focus on the finances of healthcare is and healthcare provider organizations, you know, we've talked about how that is something that's come into focus in a way that 
really probably hadn't before. And I think that that's something that, you know, the government relations piece is definitely part of it, but that's something that leaders of provider organizations, they need to be having concerted conversations with their employees about this, because those employees represent a huge voter block and nothing speaks to elected leaders like a base of support from the people who keep them or kick them out of office. Um, they also need to have that conversation with the media as much as they can. And I know that, that gets harder and harder in a lot of communities that we serve because there aren't as many healthcare reporters as there once were. So to get folks to focus in on that and to really understand kind of the complexities of that situation, um, and especially if we want to start layering in insurance companies or whatever else is there, that is that's not a one and done type conversation. That's one that needs to happen and continue to happen as providers dig out of this however long that takes. Justin mentioned having concerted conversations with employees about these issues. I asked him what that looks like, especially when a hospital or a health systems employee base may be a diverse group in any number of ways. Well, I, I don't think that there needs to be anything ideological about it at all. I think that it is pure and simple. You know, this is the revenue that was forfeited to prepare for and provide care during the pandemic. Um, you know, we suspended all of these services for this amount of time and that this is the financial result of that. Um, we and then and then, you know, if you want to set up the simple math equation, this is the assistance that we've gotten to date and here's the gap. Um, we're we're doing everything that we can to absorb that over time, but you need to understand that that is here. So, you know, in the future, we may be looking to you, for, you know, to help us write letters to our congressman to make phone calls to do whatever it is. I mean, it, it is a pretty simple uh, story to be able to tell. And like I said, I think that it's something that has crossed um, ideological bounds. And it's also, we learned from the most recent survey, you know, the vast majority of folks um, support additional funding for healthcare providers. So I think that knowing all of that, we just need to, we need to encourage our clients to really have a pretty simple uh, and transparent conversation with a variety of stakeholders on here's this national issue, but here's how it's impacting us in our community. Right. So you get to activate that support. You got to turn it into something for it to become um, a political force that will actually get you more financial support. Right. And that does take work. So active work on the half of the providers because the politicians won't come looking for it. Before we closed out, David Gerard brought up one more issue. It's tangential to the election, but still a critical piece of the overall conversation, a COVID-19 vaccine. Our last issue, and I think it does actually relate to the election and, um, and also reflects on the survey results that we conducted. And I'm, I'm thinking about the vaccines and the rush to the vaccines and the conversations on both sides of the parties about the vaccines, whether they're credible, not credible, safe, not safe. What's the role of our of our clients here? One thing that I'd say there is we've we've had these conversations with clients over the last uh, few weeks coming out of the survey results. And more than once when we've talked about this section of it, the vaccines and, and you know, the responsibility to weigh in or the expectation that people have that you're going to weigh in. I've had multiple people say, isn't that really the pharmaceutical company's job? Because it's, they just don't want to touch this. And I think that's totally understandable. This is, you know, we've talked about it a bunch. It's an issue that has been intensely political on the fringes of society for 10, 15 years. And it's going to be 
in the mainstream, it's going to be the topic of conversation um, at some point, you know, several months from now. I think that there's going to be a lot of reticence among health systems to really strongly participate in this conversation. And that's a that's a real myth. It's a it's a real way to lose all the trust that they've gained. Um, this is exactly the sort of issue that people need public health experts to be giving public health information about. And so while I, I'm sympathetic to the challenge and I, I know that it's the sort of culture war issue that no institution wants to be a part of, this is exactly the moment that people are looking for just reliable information. I'm not I'm not even talking about strong advocacy for everyone to be vaccinated. I'm talking about reliable, sober information about the vaccine, how it's expected to work, what the side effects are, how you make these decisions. Yeah, I think another nuance there, and I've heard this a little bit, is how the organization talks about the vaccine and then how all of the doctors are going to talk about the vaccines. Because, you know, there is not a vaccine. There are multiple uh, vaccines that evidently some doctors think one's better than the other for whatever reason. But I think that you could get into a position to where the organization takes a stance and you got to be prepared for doctors within your organization to not agree with that stance or to have a nuanced agreement to it. Um, and that's always the case, but because this is the issue that everybody is focused on, and because I think that folks are tired of conflicting information from public health officials and politicians, that it's going to be even more important for our clients to try to, number one, lead with the medical voice, which we always say, but to create as much of a consensus around what it is, the information that they're sharing. Maybe not even what they're recommending, but just the information that they are sharing. Um, and to the extent that we can get them to take a higher level view so that they can remain consistent about the vaccine going forward, I think that's going to pay dividends for them with their medical staff, but then also with the end user of the message that they're trying to reach their patients. You know, as we're having this discussion, I'm thinking of the value of having great uh, government relations, frankly, on this and being the voice to the lawmakers that provide funding in the future and what that funding looks like because of the kind of conversations I'm confident elected lawmakers are going to be in to pull them to one extreme or the other and to be in a sense almost uh, in a staff position to be able to provide them with some context and some answers to some of the maybe uncentered questions that they're going to get could be immensely valuable to them and then to our organizations that are being helpful to these lawmakers. So that's a bit of what we're thinking about when it comes to this, uh, let's call it intriguing election season. We'll know more and maybe no less by the time you hear this. The debates will continue. We're getting closer and closer to actual election day. Who knows what's going to happen? But let us know what you think about the election and its potential effect on the healthcare industry. And also let us know what you think about this podcast. Hit us up on Twitter for either at Gerard Inc., J-A-R-R-A-R-D-I-N-C, or send us a note uh, through the forum on our website, gerardinc.com. Please also be sure to subscribe to this podcast, then share it with a couple of friends who might find it valuable. We'll continue checking in as election season evolves, not to mention covering many other high-stakes issues affecting healthcare providers today.